and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Smoker's Abbey here in beautiful East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Dedman, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. So excited about this cigar. Introduce our guest so I can line it. <laughs> All right. So this is something that's been really exciting to me. We've been trying to line this up for about a year, I think, uh, just with everybody's schedules and uh, the new build-out, the fresh renovation of the shop, which we'll talk about in a moment. But listeners of the show know how much I love Smoker's Abbey, and this shop up here offers something really unique to Nashville that I really don't think you can get anywhere else. So we're sitting down first uh, with the general manager of the show, shop, Wow, I'm, I'm off to I'm wow, off to the races super, already. You promoted him. We only been here ten minutes, and now he's in charge of the show. <laughs> I think that was shop and ship, and I don't know. You're a captain today, Nate. Uh, my, Nate Potter. My, my locker does say Captain Crunch on it, so you know. <laughs> so it works so, out. Yep. Hey, how's it going? Oh well, like like I said, we've been uh, really looking forward to this, but I think no. I think more what Shane's been looking forward to is finally getting his hands on that Don Lino Africa. Got it right here. So have you smoked one yet, Nate? And uh, what 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 should I expect? It's. I don't know. See, I can't put my finger on that cigar. It smokes like no other, and I think it's the Cameroon binder. I think there's something special there, something unique there Mm -hmm. about actually having the Cameroon leaf as the binder in the cigar. Um, but it's very, very smooth, very, very flavorful. Um, it's too early for me to tell you all my thoughts, but well, it's good. So it's Colorado Maduro wrapper. Uh, the binder, like Nate said, is Cameroon, fillers, Dominican Republic, and Nicaraguan, and it's made in the A.J. Fernandez factory. And I will be smoking all, okay, I'm going to issue it. I'm going to issue a one-time pardon to Don Lito Africa. You know, our pet peeve is when... Instead of calling a cigar a certain name for size, they make oh, up yeah. their own names. Oh, yeah. that, that's I, one I our... work in this industry. I'm very yeah. always frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you well, have the Salomon XL Grande Bellicoso, you know? Well, it's, it's funny because where my original frustration from that comes from when I was working behind the counter at Crown or mm-hmm. Smoky 2 at the time. Because you never know what right. anything is. Right. Well... So I'm smoking the Timbo Grand Toro 660 semi box press. Now I like a much bigger cigar. I like a larger ring gauge cigar, and I'm really excited. The wrapper is beautiful. I mean, the wrapper, the band is beautiful. The whole thing is just a, it's a, it's a work of art in a cigar. So I'm very excited. Trey, what are you smoking? And I really love that the the label almost looks like the Anheuser Busch logo. <laughs> it's very close to Did it. Did you guys ever smoke the original Africa? The I old didn't. one. Okay. I did before my time yeah. of cigar smoking. Yeah, so and it's that's I'm, I've smoked it. That's a similar band. If it always had that A on it. Yeah, so I'm smoking the same cigar because I wasn't because the thing is I bought it before Shane got here, uh, and we're trying to decide what we were going to smoke for the show because we usually try and smoke something different from each other. But there was no way I was going to sit here and look at that cigar in my humidor for a week yeah. or longer without being able to smoke it, especially after so. But I'm smoking a different size, I'm, and I tore the barcode right in the middle of the name of it, the Kifaru. Kifaru Bellicoso. Which is um, Swahili for rhinoceros. So, oh, look yeah. at you. Look at that. I know. 
Oh, well, it, full disclosure, I did look it up before we started. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was supposed, impressed. You're supposed to just act like this I was is a professional I was operation. Like, wow. So, well, no. <laughs> the funny thing about that is, is Swahili was actually one of the languages that was offered as a foreign language at Baylor. And most people, no, a lot of people, especially the jocks that needed a foreign language credit would take that language because there's no verb conjugation. So it's just literally learning vocabulary. That's all there is to it. Nate, did you ever watch the classic John Wayne movie, Hatari? I actually haven't. I'm not familiar. Oh, you've I'm got, sorry. You've got to, next time you have a chance, Hatari. John Hattari. Wayne is a... All right. He catches big game animals for zoos, and mm. it revolves around, and there's the girl who the elephants fall in love with, and she yeah. has baby elephants chasing her, and wonderful movie. Absolutely <laughs> a terrible description of a wonderful, no, wonderful no, movie. You reeled me in. I'll go check it out. Okay. All right. Well, before we get too off the rails, as we typically <laughs> do, let, um, want to talk about you and kind of your um, kind of your upbringing in cigars. And I think so. You've been working here pretty much since '08, right? Since, well, since the beginning, yeah. Since okay. day one. Um, so you want me to just take yeah, it? Yeah, just cool. take it. Take it. So um, I've been smoking now for a little over twelve years. Um, so my dad, I grew up. Um, with my dad smoking cigars around me all the time. He, he had smoked for probably about 30 years. And then um, I probably would have had one uh, before my 18th birthday, but uh, my mom would have killed him. So <laughs> uh, it was just, you know, we waited. But I would always, even, you know, uh, even probably, I think the funny part about this for me is I've worked in the industry now going on seven years and uh, when I was 10 and I found out my dad smoked cigars, I was mad at him because I was like, you're doing something unhealthy. And then, like, I always joke with my mom, look at me now. You know, yeah. here I am. Um, well, it's so funny because, you know, the, the D.A.R.E. programs and all those things, you right. know, they don't just focus on drugs. They focus on tobacco, right. too. I have had so many conversations with my daughter, who's 11 and a half, about what how awful i mean we, i've had those same conversations about i don't want you to die and i don't want yeah. you to be, all this stuff because they pump these kids full of so yep. much propaganda yep so then uh my 18th birthday rolled around and my parents asked me what i wanted um and all, all i wanted was to smoke a cigar with my dad so we actually we went to the local cigar lounge and uh he basically said you can pick anything out from here or here or here. Like, he kind of just told me stuff that I would like. And so my first cigar ever was a CAO Golden. Now, that's the OG CAO yeah. uh, back when they were still based out of here in Nashville. I'm not from here, but it's kind of cool that that was the early stuff. My dad was, being from Indiana, my dad was still big into CAO, and uh, that was his favorite company. So that's that's what I started smoking. First cigar was CAO Gold on the back porch. I didn't know how to smoke it. I coughed like crazy. I cut too much off. But uh, there was something about that moment that reeled me in. And then uh, it kind of started a thing where it was like every Sunday afternoon, um, at least while the weather was nice, me and my dad would sit on the back porch and have a cigar. And uh, it was kind of, it was one of those moments too where I felt like uh, as an 18 year old, you know, with a full time job and stuff, it felt like I could finally treat my dad to something where i'd go and get him a cigar and yeah most of them were terrible and crappy and he not what his taste was but he appreciated it so then you know speeding up um i i just we started smoking together we got really into it um and then actually uh, probably about two years later um for unrelated smoking reasons my dad ended up passing away 
And so then for me, cigars kind of became this thing, you know, as a, you know, a 19, 20 year old, it became this thing that was really commemorative of my dad and that time we had together. And so um, I, at the time I worked at a coffee shop and I would take all my tip money and actually go next door to a cigar shop and buy cigars. And then I'd go and sit at the park and smoke cigars and uh, listen to music and, you know, be a artistic uh, introvert. So that is um, awesome. Yeah. So then and then fast forwarding to um, I ended up moving to Nashville uh, just about 10 years ago. Um, Josh, who owns Smokers Abbey, him and I became friends pretty early on and uh, through different connections. Um, Josh is actually, he doesn't like people knowing this. He does, but he's a full-time pastor. And so I had actually moved down here to be a part of his church. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I had friends who were in bands who had played, and Josh kind of always had his church focus more being around uh, the artists and the musicians and the punk kids. And I was a punk kid, and so I gravitated towards that. But so... Um, coming to find out that Josh around that time had been getting into cigars. And so a lot of times after church on Sundays, people would go over to Josh's house and we'd smoke cigars and hang out. Um, and for me, it, it felt right at home because, you know, me and my dad had had that time. And so, and, and for me, it, I had gotten into it. So I had been smoking just as much as most of those guys had um, for being like 20 years old. And um, from age... 18 to probably 21, 22. I don't know if I ever really paid attention to what I smoked. I would just grab stuff and smoke it. And, yeah. um, you know, I didn't, I didn't care. I, I did, did love CAO and that was more of a nostalgic factor. Um, fun story. I actually, the first week I moved to Nashville, um, CAO did a party at the facility when it was based out of here, the Oz Center. Yeah, and, they were um, known for those parties. Yeah. So this was actually, it was weird. It was the party probably about six months before they sold, but you could tell that it was like a, they knew what's coming because it was like, it started early and basically you walked in the door and you, it was open to the public too. Like no shop sponsored, no, it was just something CAO would throw. And so first people through the door got three cigars and like a little Jeep lighter and then and so that's all I thought it was I went with a friend and we were like oh cool we're going at 10 a.m. to get three free cigars from CAO that's awesome so then as the day progresses on they start bringing out more cigars and more cigars and more cigars and then they had this I forget the name of it but they had this like bolt humidor that was all test blends or cigars that were unreleased because of band issues or x y and z and so they just started pulling stuff out of there I came home with like 30 cigars uh-huh. and like in like they ordered pizza. It was like a big deal. But I had like no I was like, what is this? Like at the time, I didn't even have a humidor to put them in. So right. I like I smoked through as many as I could. But that's so, one of my great, re- great cigar regrets is that I never got to go to one of those parties. Yeah. Somehow I ended up at one and then they sold. And yeah. so it was like, <laughs> all right, no more Nashville. Now, I have been to a good Crown Heads one yeah. um, here, but that was a little smaller but <laughs> so we've in the, in the rush to get started we forgot to ask what are you smoking tonight oh yeah right now i am speaking of crown heads smoking the crown heads court uh uh full court press box press uh it's funny enough we've had this in our humidor about a week and it's my first time smoking this size i actually hadn't picked it up yet so well, it came out i, I believe the yep. same day the, yep. the la coalition and you know obviously yeah, I, was I got caught pick, up in that so yeah yeah, everybody, you know, Willie Herrera, when he blends stuff, it's just so good. So, And yeah. and he's one of those guys, 
you see so many blenders that kind of hang back in the background, but not Willie. Willie's out there. He's yep. shaking hands. He's yep. kissing babies. He's doing the whole <laughs> nine yards. He's really into that stuff. So when one of his cigars comes out, it kind of overshadows yep. whatever yep. somebody else is doing. Yep. And and honestly, I mean, I had smoked one of the samples from the show of it, and I was just ready for it. It's awesome, and every size I've smoked of it, it's great. But, yeah, so I'm smoking the full court press, the new limited box press crown heads court um i'm a big fan of the regular crown heads court so um this is great so far uh, i'm gonna have to pick one of those up before yeah. i leave tonight because i still haven't grabbed one yeah because i was great. too distracted by the yeah. coalition yeah that we got the african it's like been you know it's there's things still rolling in from the trade show so you never know right what's, so what's new so for those who don't know the nashville area um and we're gonna have josh on a little bit later and kind of talk about you know kind of He's, he's always been a counterculture guy from the conversations I've had with him and kind of what you're discussing. Yeah. And, and you know, East Nashville is such a unique neighborhood. Yeah. What are, I mean, having having grown up smoking in other cities and, and kind of being around, what are some of the unique challenges that you face or, or what is kind of your unique perspective when yeah. you're trying to fill your humidor? Well, so East Nashville is weird in general. I mean, so thankfully... We are very familiar with this neighborhood. I do not live in this neighborhood anymore, but I lived here for eight years. Josh's house is just down the road, and so we're very familiar with the community here, with the people here. Uh, East Nashville is a weird spot for Nashville in the sense that it's kind of the the place where the weirdness uh, thrives better than than it does in other parts of town. And so, um, you know we get a lot of different artists different musicians it's funny and probably more shops that like you know down down in the the franklin area people probably pick cigars out by the band sometimes but it's not because of like how trendy it looks and for us we get a lot of people who sometimes are more gravitated towards the artwork um especially with a lot of the more boutique cigars and the newer kind of branding and stuff like that um but you know there's a bunch of different bars here there's a bunch of different um this is kind of the area where the artists and musicians who are broke uh who are you know not the people making um, making it as a pop star or country star were living. Everybody was living in this neighborhood, and it's grown and, and it's changed a lot, um, but it still kind of has the same feel where it attracts the people who are going to think a little bit more outside the box. Yeah, it's, it's very much the misfits and the rejects, but not in a bad way. Yeah. You know, it's it's more like the, the, the happy ending of the John Hughes movie, yeah. not the yeah. tormented front half. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, and, you know, people that don't live in Nashville, it's hard to understand. I draw house plans for a living. I don't know what people that draw house plans and don't have songwriters do for fun. Yeah. Because there's nothing, there's there's no other profession that they were living in their neighbor's garden shed and now they're in my office drawing an 8,000 square foot mansion. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's just, it goes so quick. Okay, you we're going to stargaze a little. Who's... Who's been in here before they broke? Who was the one, who's the biggest one that was in here before they broke? I don't know if we have any of the before they broke. There was a guy who's pretty big in uh, the indie scene now. His name's Langhorn Slim. He was pretty frequent here. We've had a lot of bigger names, but uh, it's more been after you know who they are. But they're, they're always fun stories still, too, because it's, it's not in the – they come in and they act like average people – um, I have a fun little story, and this isn't trying to ignore the rabbit hole, but 
tying into that in the East Nashville and how everybody's just kind of normal. I had this guy walk in probably six months ago and uh, long hair and beard and total hipster dude and uh, just look like every other East Nashville guy. And he sits down or he buys a cigar and sits down at the bar and we start talking. He's from England and we just we start talking about whatever. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in town for like this music thing. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, that make that makes sense, you know, because it's Nashville. And uh, and, and because I, you look like that. <laughs> right. And you look like that. And it's just, OK, that's what you do. And um, I was playing. I put on like a playlist through our speaker system and was not really paying attention. And so I'm talking to him. And I'm like, hey, uh, so what kind of music do you play? And he's like, ah, it's like indie folk rock, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, And then next thing I know, like we're talking about stuff, whatever. Well, come to find out it's the lead guitarist and founding member of Mumford & Sons, which I'm like, you're the indie folk rock band of the, like that's, oh, not just any. And And then his music was, (laughs) and then I was playing his music at the same time. And I felt like a jerk, but uh, it was cool, and we talked, and he was, like, the nicest dude, big cigar smoker. So That um, is awesome. But, yeah, we get a bunch of different people in. You know, we have a bunch of different musicians, and most people, they walk in. You don't know who they are. They just start hanging out. They're, like, normal, average people, and you start talking to them, and then you come to find out that they play for this band or they've done this thing. And it's everybody, when they walk in, though, it's kind of just the average general person. So it's cool. Well, and people don't realize there's so many super talented just session musicians. You can... Yeah. You can be a session musician in Nashville your whole life, lead a great life, smoke all the cigars you want, and never have, you know, and just be talented doing what you love. Well, and so for those who aren't familiar with Nashville, we have a strip downtown called Broadway, um, and it's where all the honky-tonk bars are. If you come here on your tourist journey, you'll go to Broadway, and you can hear at... Or you your know, bachelorette party. Bachelorette party. Yeah, you get here during woo <laughs> yeah. season. We you all get hear, our woo you, shots yeah. very early. You can hear uh, between 20 different bars, there's cover bands playing, uh, and they're all playing country covers because that's what people want to hear. And they can't, you know, Joe Schmoes or like, you know, a big name country artist isn't going to be playing at one of those bars, so it's a cover band. We have a regular bars who's actually the highest paid drummer on Broadway. He's been doing it for 20 years, and he... Literally, like, I mean, that's what he does full time is he just he plays like three days a week for like four hours each day and then like plays in a cover band and makes a full living off of it. And that's what he does. That's, so it's I mean, crazy. That's the, that's the Nashville dream. Yeah. Yeah. We all talk about the American dream, but the Nashville dream really is just, you know, making a yep. living playing music. Yep. Well, speaking of which, so I my Africa. Oh, huh? music. Okay. My Africa has changed notes on me about four times during the smoking. When I lit it, I was getting one thing, and now I'm about a third of the way through, and I'm getting something totally different. Uh, when I first lit it up, it was chocolate. It was just all chocolate. Yep. And uh, now I'm about the same distance through it as you are, and it, I'm, I'm tasting A.J. Fernandez's hand now. Yeah, yeah I'm getting I'm, a little A.J., a yeah. little pepper, a little a kick. Little, yeah. But it's pepper without pepper. Right. If yeah. you know, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's spice. Pep. Yeah. At all, it just really kind of gives me. It's it's a full flavor, um, but wonderful cigar. This is box worthy. I can tell you one third of the way through, this cigar is box. Yeah, I completely agree. So, well, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show one of the challenges we had at getting you to sit down with us was, um, you know, scheduling and things. And you guys just recently doubled your footprint. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit th- about that and kind of how that came to be and and you know, did you face any challenges with yeah. that? And so. Um, we basically, we had outgrown our space. Our, our original space was about a thousand square feet, and 
uh, the retail space next to us had been vacant for actually a couple of years. It used to be a nail salon. Um, and we actually went through a lot of issues, which um, you hear this across America. I feel like everybody I talk to right now, one of the biggest issues that cigar shops face is um, the issues with smoke and their neighbors. Mm. And so we had actually, with our landlord, um, you know, they had kind of told us that they couldn't rent out the space next door because of the smoke. And then we were, basically we were like, well, it's time to grow. It's time to, and we had actually had an expansion plan in place with another space that was kind of behind us. Yeah, I remember and, yeah, talking about the yeah. kind of the basement kind and of And then it was just more than we could chew. There was no electricity. There was, I mean, it was going to be a literal full build out. So um, we, you know, smart business made the decision to back out on that. And then we just kind of waited for the right time. And basically, finally, after months of negotiating with our landlord, it got to a place we wanted to be in. Um, so we took over the space right next door to us um, and acquired another thousand square feet, tore down the wall. Um, it was a, it was a, so we started that in January of 2019. And then we were officially open on that side on the new side in May. Um, we had finished it in about April, but we went through a bunch of code issues, fire marshal issues. Um, but yeah, we did a full build out um, completely. We tore out drop ceilings, raised the ceiling about four to five feet taller, um, completely opened it up, tore out our tile floors, did complete like sealed concrete floors. and Which so is for a cigar shop, that's the best floor covering you oh, can yeah. possibly well, have. Well, and it's great. And I'll tell you, like, it's bulletproof. Well, and even like with the rain, um, with the tile we used to have in in the old space, or like the we still have that space, but we just completely redid it with the new space. But the tile was like white, and so when it's raining out, people walk in, and then you just see footprints. And we literally had to mop like every moment. And now it's like it's so much better. We did a stain on it, so it's actually like a dark kind of leather brown, and um, you know it doesn't look as dirty all the time. <laughs> Well, I like the vibe of the place. This is my first time here. I've never yeah. been here before. Um, I would have probably drove by it. I didn't, you know, without try. I actually walked by it when I got out of the car. But really interesting vibe, really cool place, kind of, especially we're in the back room now, and I really like the the Prohibition style yeah. feel back here. I feel like I should have knocked on the door and slipped the gorilla <laughs> yeah. 20 bucks to get in. So we actually call this the chapel um, or the quiet room, but... Basically, we always, you know, we've got speakers and TVs and all that stuff in the other room. But one of the biggest things we've always been about is having a space to actually have community and conversation. And so it's so easy to get distracted by everything else. So we wanted to create a space that was more a a quiet room where people can come and study or have quiet conversations or, you know, more of like a, you know, lack of a better term, an intimate setting, which may yeah. sound weird in a cigar shop, but that's what I love is just sitting down with a friend and having a close conversation over well, a cigar. It's it's funny you call it chapel because that's what I thought because I'm a big Sons of Anarchy fan. Yeah. And the room where yeah. the big table sits, they call the chapel. And even on Mayans, the room where the big table where they yeah. go to make the decisions who we're going to shoot this week, they call <laughs> it the chapel, which that's I'm not sure <laughs> if y'all may decide that. So... The- so that's an actual human heart that's been turned yes. into it. Yes. Okay. Um, so this first half of the episode has absolutely flown by. Uh, oh, but great. I would be remiss if I didn't ask. Uh, we have one question that we ask every guest the first time we have them on, which is price and quantity, no object. Trapped on a desert island, you get one cigar. 
See that's hard, and that's because it's changed over like the last twelve years. Oh yeah, and it's crazy as as your palate changes and it develops. And um, for me, well, I feel like you have a leg. I'm trying up to too. think out of the box too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what exactly yeah. what I was about to say. You guys carry so much that you can't find anywhere yeah. else. You guys are very boutique heavy, so you've got kind of a, a corner on the market. You know, the one cigar, we've only had it in stock twice because they've only released it twice. But I think the cigar for myself, I personally bought a bundle of each time it came out. And it would pro- I'd probably smoke it every day if it existed more often and be my Desert Island cigars, the Warped Black Honey. Okay. That is, I don't know if you've ever smoked it. He's, yeah. He smoked it on the show. Yeah, and, I had one on the show. Said, yeah. that, that said that that was the most aptly named cigar he's okay. ever smoked. It's awesome. It's Because I love the original La Comina, and I'm a sucker for a very flavorful Connecticut. But so, it's funny, um, you know, we were an early Warped account, and um, we didn't even know what that cigar was originally. Um but an uh, article had been done, I think maybe by Half Wheel or somebody, and they had said that we were one of the shops getting it. And so we had people calling us to, oh, when you get in Black Honey? And we're like, we don't know anything about that. And there was like the next day, Warp called us and was like, hey, we got this cigar and you can get it. And there was like 30 shops in the country who got it the first time. And so that time I only had two, got two sticks and I, I smoked them and I was like blown away. And then when they decided they were re-releasing it, I got a whole bundle and then i even had more so and i had friends who had other shops who when we ran out i was like oh i want some so i i, I love that cigar i think that that would probably be, and i'm a big fan of bellicosas and and you know more short torpedoes and stuff like yeah. that so well before we let you go i do have to ask what was your dad's flavor palette like my see my father always smoked cigars so or smoked cigarettes he never smoked cigars yeah. So I often wonder if palettes kind of generationally are the same or if they get a lot different. So what was your dad's palette like? So his number one, like probably the cigar I saw him smoke all the time, and like I said, he smoked a lot of CAO, was the CAO Brasilia. Uh, That was just kind of his favorite. He was a big Maduro fan. Um, So I, I think that that was probably like more where his palette led. And I haven't smoked a Brazilian in a long time, and no judgment against General. But for me, it's it's so, because of the sentiment. With me, it feels a little bitter sometimes. But um, so that cigar originally, I remember it being very a chocolatey Maduro, very rich in that flavor. It wasn't filled with tons of spice, but it was just very very smooth, mm-hmm. full, and rich. So I think that that's kind of more where he fell. Oh, I get, I get that. <laughs> this is a, it's a Crown Cigars reunion in here tonight. It this is. is amazing. Well, Nate, thank you so much for sitting yeah. down with us. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll be back with the owner of the shop, Joshua Stump. Cool. Joshua with Smoker's Abbey, cigar under eight, seven ninety nine. The Saint Francis, which is a house stick at Smoker's Abbey. It is a San Andreas Maduro made by Esteban Carrera, and it's fantastic for under eight bucks. Very smoky. Well, you know, we always talk on the show about the house cigar because that's always my question: what's what can I get here that I can't get nowhere else? And all, and you have you have the sanctuary here too, but it don't qualify under eight. 
but it does not. That's a crown heads. That does not qualify. Close yeah. though, nine ninety nine. Yeah, the tray you've smoked it. Oh, I love that stick. And also, till next week, try the St. Francis. Or the St. Clair, which is made by La Aurora. And our friend Nate McIntyre actually blended it for us. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he blended it for us, and La Aurora thought it might be a little too strong. Um, and it's not. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, all right. Well, I, I know what I'm smoking after the show now. Back to the cigar cast is one of your hosts sitting across from the man put his payment down on the new tesla truck this week i would have if i'd had it i like it oh man it looks like a delorean had a bad night in tijuana and woke up in bed with an el camino well you realize that the <laughs> delorean re- is my lotto car right so oh, okay well, that, that should tell you a little you're, bit you're the only person i know of stature to act my our guest <laughs> and myself we're not fitting a DeLorean. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we're just not DeLorean people. We definitely are not. At all. But Trey, introduce our guest. Uh, so we're now sitting down with the owner of Smokers Abbey, Joshua Stump. Welcome. <laughs> oh, wait. That's your job. <laughs> that is my job. Um, no, we were talking about before we started recording. So Joshua, you you do, is it Josh or Joshua? Do you have a preference? It doesn't matter. Um, Josh, Joshua. Hey, you. <laughs> just fine. don't call me late to dinner, right? Right. Um, <laughs> The uh, you know you opened the shop. What was it about? Um, oh no, that's where I was going. I got derailed early on the first half of the show too. Um, He's so excited he can't. I know. He's I really am. This is a year in the making. I've been trying to. Get I'd love this. to see you sweat. <laughs> Beside himself, he wouldn't fit in the DeLorean. Uh, but you're you know you're probably going to be one of the more casual guys on the mic that we've ever had because you do a podcast and you were I telling do. me the yeah. other day that you've actually recorded here in the shop too. So we're Many not even times, the first yeah. to do it. No, you're not the first. Actually, there's been a lot of podcasts recorded. Is here. that right? Yeah, actually, there has been. There's a lot of podcasts out there. Yes, I think everybody has a podcast these days. Well, we've never had a cigar podcast. Well, then, hey, we get something. There you That's go. That's right. In the in the what? It's been, has it been eleven years that you guys been open? Oh eight was that? Oh seven. Oh seven. Yeah. Okay. I knew uh, I was. I knew I was around right when you wait, guys. Wait, no, wait. Is that right? No, sorry. Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. So we're in our was, seventh year right oh, now. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. What was the, so were you already in East Nashville at the time when you kind of decided that this was the area that needed a cigar shop? I was. I used to, uh, I lived here in East Nashville and I used to drive out to what was Stogie's, now Crown Cigar, Mm. several times a week. And about the time I could get out there and light it up, they closed at 10. And I said, if I ever open a shop, I'm not closing at 10 o'clock because you got to stay open. Yeah. So East Nashville, yeah, was a great location, and of course we did that. We have extended hours, which so. is one of the things I love because oftentimes my fiance and I will come over after, you know, we do a small group with our church on Sunday nights, and, mm-hmm. and you know we wrap that up. You guys are the only people open, you know, past six nine o'clock on on a Sunday, and that's just yeah. And back in my party days when I'd be out until all hours of the night, it was really nice being able to come around at, at eleven midnight and still yeah. be able to smoke a cigar. So how, lo- so, how long have you been into cigars? How long have you been smoking cigars? Okay. Um, I, honestly, probably only about 10 years. Um, I had never really smoked growing up. I didn't really do much of anything growing up. Um, 
but I was pastoring, which I still pastor, but I was pastoring a church and we had two services, um, a morning and an evening service. And so some of the guys at the church who I was good friends with got into cigars. And so we were chatting one day and they asked me to smoke a cigar with them. And that was the first cigar that I've smoked. Do you remember what it was? Um, yeah, actually, I think it was a, it was an Alec Bradley um, something. I remember it was really full and it gave me a massive um, head rush. Oh, yeah. And, but anyways, we left there and I went back to church and I preached the best sermon I ever preached in my life. And I felt like I was, you know, a little bit high. Yeah. Yeah, just from the, the nicotine rush because I yeah. wasn't used to it. And it was great. So that became a Sunday tradition that I had cigars with those guys. And then that became, then it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then at some point I realized that I could have meetings with guys from church over cigars. And I could go to my humidor and select the size cigar that I wanted to have the conversation. Because when the cigar's gone, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. That's something we've actually talked about on the show a lot, about how a cigar is a unit of time. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so, um, so how, you know, the, we've you know, owning a shop is the dream of most cigar shop, uh, cigar smokers. Uh, how did the how did the um, the love of cigars translate into making the decision to open up your own place? Well, <laughs> the story is a little complex. So, um, I I got into church planting, and so I've facilitated sixteen church plants around the country. And most of them were surrounding music, cultured people, so bands and uh, touring artists, management, because I realized that um, churches really didn't want artists in their church because they asked too many questions. They, you know, <laughs> they're, uh, you can't just say do this and they do it. Right. They go, why? Yeah. And so that's been the field that I've been in for a long time was in music and arts. So um, ministry in music and uh, arts culture. So anyways, um, after planting a bunch of churches here, I was going to move to London to plant oh, and wow. start planting through Europe. And we had planted a church in Warsaw, Poland, um, and it was, it was doing quite well. And it was in the rock music world, you know, in, in Warsaw. So anyways... That um, had to be a trip. Yeah. So my current church, I handed off to my associate pastor, and we started making the transition to move to England. And this is before Brexit, so the, U, the EU was still in charge of immigration. And they had so many people coming in from Europe that they ended up cutting off immigration uh, to Europe, So, our, unless you were from Europe. So because I'm an American, they said no go. So I got denied multiple times immigration. At that point, I, w I continued to do some ministry stuff, but I had a retired pastor friend from Tampa that was in, in real estate, and I started working as a broker at his company and made enough money, I thought, to open a cigar shop. So the reason the cigar shop, I was looking for something that I could at least make a little money for the family. And um, I learned the hard way. That's a, a lot harder to do. Um, <laughs> and I thought I had enough money to start out, but it really wasn't even remotely close. So the first five years were just grinding to stay open. And then because uh, I was in East Nashville, East Nashville was not a a good place to live. It was, right. I was living here because I could afford it on a ministry budget. <laughs> right. Know? And um, I remember when we first opened, there were other guys in the industry that were like, you're insane, you're going to be out of business in a year um, because it's the wrong neighborhood, there's the wrong clientele. 
when we first opened, I couldn't sell a cigar over 10 bucks hardly because there just wasn't the clientele for it. Right. And of course, um, as you know, living in the city, it's changed so much and developed. And, you know, now it's, now you got all the guys from New York and Chicago and LA who've moved into East Nashville to get a bargain on, which is really expensive real estate. And the clientele has, um, has increased and we just stayed open. That was the, the goal really for five years wasn't even about making money. It was about keeping the doors open and just playing the long game. And, of course, now it's actually turned into a, you know, a, a business that's functional. Well, you know? and, and I will say credit to you and credit to your regulars uh, for accomplishing that. I mean, this is a place that I remember walking through the doors back in probably around 14, 15 yeah. for the first time. Because I remember hearing, you know, I've had family that lived in East Nashville for 20 years. So I kind of saw it as it's gone through its transitions and stuff. And I remember hearing there was a shop over here. And the first time I drove around looking for it, I couldn't find it. Yeah. And then when I finally came in, I mean, it's just such a great community. And yeah. so, but it's always been, we were talking with a buddy of ours during the break about how, you know, I, I come in here, you know, in the lunch time to, to get a little work done while I'm on this part of the city. But every time I walk in, no matter what time of day, there's great people sitting around having great conversations. I never get any work done because I just want to be part of the part of the group that's here. And I yep. think that's really a testament to those first five years of being able to stay open. It's just what a what a yeah, great community right. is here. Yeah. So I guess like my background in nonprofit doesn't help me in running a business, but it did help me in building a client base. Um, because it is centered around relationships. Of course, my, I guess sort of my goal initially was just, you know, if there were 25 or 30 guys that I could build community with and have a place for them, then I've accomplished my goal. Um, and then, of course, it's turned into much larger. I mean, it's, it's, it's turned into more than I ever thought it would. And in some ways it had to, though, to be sustainable, you know. Right. So you have to get beer. You have to get uh, certain brands. You have to have a full humidor because you don't want people thinking you're out of business, you know. Right. And, and then so you have to – I eventually learned that if I could learn how to do business but then use what I've learned about community to, to, to mix it together mm-hmm. – then, um, then, then we would have something that's sustainable and accomplishes the goal. And you have to set up rules, you know, too. And they're not harsh, but, you know, I had somebody tell me the other day, they said, um, because East Nashville has a lot, let's just say there's a lot more liberal-minded people, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's yeah. a good way of putting it. And I had, um, I had somebody the other day, they said, this is the first cigar shop I've ever been in that it's not just filled with angry old white guys yeah. that are just bitching about the government, you know, and things like that. And that's, that's intentional, you know, because, and because we're culturally diverse, you know, um, probably the most so in the, in the city, if I had to guess. Yeah. So the first thing I had to overcome was finding cigar smokers, then build a relationship. And then I had to figure out how to, um, mesh together the white and black cultures of the shop, because I found out they were segregated. Um, all the black guys would sit on one end and all the white guys sit on the other end. So one day I got really angry. The room was full. And I just told him that's not what we're doing. I was like, you can't, this is not a segregated cigar shop. You have to intermix. And then once we kind of broke the ice on that, then it was, it was kind of a go, an ongoing joke. They would go, oh, I'm, I'm going to go talk to a white guy today. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to go talk to a black guy. And um, so then once that 
community became natural. And you can't force, you can't force cultures to get together. Right. <laughs> people have tried. It doesn't work. It has to be organic. Right. So the organic thing that brought people together was the love of tobacco. Yeah. It was, and so our motto uh, is find rest for your soul. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to, I, I yeah. love that. And because to me, that was, it was a very spiritually centering place to be able to sit with someone or by yourself with a cigar and kind of process through the day, you know? And, and so I, I found that when I really got into cigars, I would start my day with a cigar because it would prepare my mind, my, my energy, you know, for whatever is coming that day. And I still, I still come into the shop at 6.30 and 7 a.m., hours before we open, and I sit in quiet and I smoke a cigar. That's awesome. And so I get the kids to school and I come and smoke a cigar. And then after that cigar, I can take on the day. And in the same way, uh, in the evening, it's always good to have a cigar before you go to bed, you know? And then I you can de- decompress agree. and release the, the trouble of that day. So there's a mental health element to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then later I actually talked to a physician who could verify through some case studies about what cigar smoking can do as far as lowering your blood pressure, making people slow down. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's very much like the monastic side of me appreciates that because you know how you you guys know how Nashville is. Right. I mean, I mean, it's expensive town. The traffic's bad. So you're hustling, and then you get kids, you're dropping off to school and play practice and sports and whatever. You're just grinding all day long, so you have to find a, a place to let, let go of that or else you're just going to go crazy. Yeah, and we talked about that when we started doing this show, is that was a big thing for us, was just having that time set aside, you know, doing what we were doing already, but just turning the mics on and giving us some focus, but also giving us that avenue where we always knew there was going to be a time set aside at six o'clock on a Wednesday night where we could just be one with, you know, the conversation, the camaraderie and the cigar. That's right. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Some of the things you mentioned, I don't think anybody that has never been in church planning knows how hard a job that is. Yeah. One of my best friends is my pastor and he shares an office with me. I give him an office there at my place. I had an extra place I didn't need. He's planted a church there in Spring Hill, and they're going on their 12th year there. Wow. And that's the hardest job in the world. Yeah. Man, I would not want to be. And actually, it's funny. I'm one of the people that say my pastor got me started smoking cigars because we were doing the Bible study. We was doing men's fraternity. Oh, I don't good. know if you've ever done Robert Lewis's men's fraternity. I've heard about it, yeah. It's unbelievable. And we would watch the video, and then we would go sit outside my office by the fountain and smoke cigars and go through the workbook and the questions and talk. And I found that when we all lit our cigars, it really opened up the air. You know, stuff that normally, if you're all just sitting there staring at each other, you're not going to talk. You're not going to talk about, you know, what it was like. You know, my brother and I went through it together. You wouldn't think we were raised in the same home. Yeah. His experience with my father and my mother was so polar opposite of what my experience with my father and mother were only four years apart but our experiences were so but there was something about lighting a cigar and us all sitting out there that just opened it up because you've got something to do with your hands you've got you know if you have a moment that you need to try to remember a name you can take a slow puff and then say it quick and with confidence right (laughs) and get through all of these different parts of that and it's it's really interesting i just i want everybody to understand there is nothing easy about planning a church. Holy cow, it's one of the yeah, hardest right. things you will ever endeavor to do. 
and all. And my, my buddy Jason, he's he is on it all the time. I mean, he's on call 24 hours. It's it's hard for him to set aside a Sabbath. I mean, he really has to work hard to have a Sabbath. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, you were kind of talking about some of the challenges, you know, stalking the humidor and kind of how, you know, one of the things that you guys are so unique and I think known for in the city is having pretty much exclusively boutique brands and, and stuff that, you know, if there's ever a cigar that I haven't even heard of, it's because I saw it on your shelves. What was some of the decisions in, in like, how do you decide what to bring in? And was it a conscious idea to kind of keep the big yeah. boys out or was it just kind of organic? Well, initially, I have to say there's a little bit of a punk rock attitude that started because I've always been a fan of the underdog. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, when we first opened, we could not get attention of the big cigar distributors. So, because of their huge minimum order kind of thing? Or? Yeah, that. and Or they just had, you know, there were shops in town that were buying more product. And so, you know. And, you were and small potatoes. We were really small, you know. And so the people that gave us the love the most were the independent guys that found out about us. But then I also kind of had a, a punk rock ethos that was like, I want to root for the underdog. I'm not going to go with the system, the corporation, you know, a little bit of that. But what I quickly discovered was the quality, and this is just my opinion, but the quality of the product is so good. So when you're putting out um, a line that only makes 10,000 cigars, each cigar has to be fantastic. And so the quality control over that product or the priming that they're taking for the tobacco is is superior. And so I've actually started... (laughs) coining the phrase of like top shelf and bottom shelf tobacco and so a lot of the boutique guys really go after great primings of tobacco and then the construction of them are fantastic and you're going to pay a little bit more um, than some of the you know everyday labels but the biggest challenge for us was getting people who were coming in looking for the staple names to try new stuff because initially I think there was the idea that if I've never heard of it it's not good and then I think you, know, you still have a lot of cigar smokers that feel that yeah. way just because they've never had the opportunity to experience anything different. Right. And so when I start a conversation to say, well, do you know the difference between craft beer and, you know, Bud Light? Everybody understands that now. You know, um, or if you talk about what's happening in the craft scene in coffee, you know, coffee now is a big thing. Oh, and yeah. You know, so if I say, do you want uh, coffee made, the coffee that takes you 20 minutes to make, or do you want to make some Folgers? Like, people understand that. And so I've had to use some of those illustrations to to get people to open up their idea to boutiques. Um, but the boutiques are great. Um, That's those pastor skills really come into life, well, being able it, to illustrate. It's like so many things is communication, right? Yeah. So you have to communicate and... Honestly, it's it's the old guy who's been smoking the same cigar forever. Mm-hmm. They're the hardest ones to convince. Oh, yeah. But if they're in East Nashville, because they're usually from out of town and they're visiting their kid who lives here and mm-hmm. they really need a cigar, then I'll try to give them the spiel. I can tell their body language that they're not buying it, but they're desperate to smoke something. And if they're in town for two or three days, they always come back. Yeah. And I'll see them again. I go, oh, I really like that. And then it goes on their radar as a thing that is worth, you know, 
smoking. Now, have you got any static from the the old school of the church guys? The guys, you know, my, our pastor, he did mm-hmm. a um, sermon series called Tattoo, mm-hmm. where basically he talked about everybody, you know, somebody in the church would talk about their tattoos, and then they would talk about, he would talk about a passage from the Bible where yeah. they talked about, you know, somebody being marked and what mm-hmm. that was actually like and how that translates. And he got so much flack from the Southern Baptist convention about that particular series. Wow. And all. Have you had to deal with any of that? Well, it's good that he was well-known enough to get flack. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, I have always, well, I grew up Southern Baptist as well. Went to Liberty University, Jerry Falwell. And so I grew up in that culture. Um, and again, seeing the need of reaching the people the church didn't reach. I've been an outsider since I like, was 20. You know, 25, 30 years have been an outsider. So that stuff doesn't really bother me. Um, one of the things that is interesting is probably one of my greatest accomplishments, if we want to say it that way without sounding braggy. One of the greatest accomplishments about the Abbey is that we have become a place for pastors and missionaries and leaders to be themselves. So there's, we probably, I'm going to, not exaggerating, we probably have 25 pastors that are here weekly. And, and oh, wow. you know, and it's funny because somebody will say, um, oh, uh, I heard that you like are a pastor. And I said, yeah, and there's six others. And they're black, they're white, they're male, they're female, you know, and, and they're all here. And, and that was the second hardest part was reaching females. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's a struggle that all cigar shops, all cigar have, yeah. shops have, whether they realize it or not. Right. So we've had to, we had to overcome some things to, to create a place for females to come because it was so male dominant for a mm-hmm. while. And so, you know, all my regular guys know that if a, if a woman comes in, you treat them with respect. It's not a place where you're going to belittle them and their sexuality or any of that stuff, you know, and, and when women feel that they're safe and that they're among people that they can have community with, then they come. Really funny story. You guys know uh, Charles from Atsuniki? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did an event uh, last year with Charles when he was launching his brand. And um, he came in with his wife. And it was the first time I met her. She was super lovely. And um, the night went off without a hitch. It was a great night. And um, the next day, Charles sent me a message, and he said, man, you got me in so much trouble. And I said, why? What did I do? And he said, well, I've been on the road going to cigar shops, and my wife asked, like, are there a bunch of women hanging out in these places, you know? And he said, no, honey, it's just literally just a bunch of dudes sitting around all the time. So she finally comes to an event. She hadn't been coming to any cigar events. This is the first one she'd come to. And, of course, we had probably, I think we were doing a fundraiser, and we had an art sale, and we had a band that played that night. And um, it was probably about 35% women. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, she didn't believe me, but I'm telling you, everywhere I go around the country, there's just a bunch of dudes sitting around. There's no women, you know, right. and, that, and that is true. And I said, yeah, well, I never even thought about that. That's an angle I never thought about. So I think we've done well at creating a place uh, where women feel welcome as well. Well, I think it kind of goes back as well to what you were talking about earlier about this is not the cigar shop with a bunch of angry white men talking politics in an echo chamber. It's really a place where people of a lot of different ideologies and backgrounds can come and be one. And I think as a part of that, you you include women 
as being because you're it's not just a men's club full of that you know the vulgarity that tends to sometimes be associated right. with it yeah that's right okay when a lady walks into your humidor what cigar do you put in her hand well um, do you have a go-to that's a good one um what I've had to break my habit of is assuming that they're going to smoke a flavored cigar. And so what we've actually done, you may have noticed, but we moved all of our flavored cigars to a cabinet, a humidor outside of the regular humidor. And that has helped me to not automatically assume that they want a flavored. So I usually will start with, um, you know, uh, one of our, you know, a Connecticut. A lot of times I like a Connecticut. Of course, I always like the Luminosa by Crown Heads. Yeah. It's a little bit peppery though for mm-hmm. some of the girls mm-hmm. uh patina uh mambacho or uh you know even with drew state you know the hoyas are nice really wonderful the ct connecticut's are good so and with the with the female i always like to ask them about what kind of wine they drink you know yeah. because then you can you can assume that maybe they, they could even handle a stronger cigar. And I'll ask how long they've been smoking because most people start out light and then they kind of build right. their profile as they go. And, um, and then kind of like after we look at a few things, I'll go, now, if you want something that's sweeter, I do have sweet cigars. And then the ones that do, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. And then, then they always tell me, oh, somebody was smoking like a grape one or, yeah. you know, or a chocolate one or something like that. I was like, that's fine. We have that. Let's go, you know, have that. But... Well, it's been an, it's been an interesting because my wife smokes cigars, and my wife. For, Congratulations! Well, thank you. That's I'm, saying something. It's, it's one of her million wonderful qualities. Yeah, it's very her, good. her best quality is putting up with me, but above and beyond that, <laughs> her and she always smoked cigars. The Drew Estate tobacco was her oh, go-to. Yeah. The flavored Drew Estate tobacco that was her go-to cigar, and when she started, when we started this podcast, me and her. Our Saturday is always, we get up, we go yard selling, we come home, we sit down, we have a cigar together, and we listen to the podcast. I've li- my, I'm an egomaniac. My favorite podcast is mine. <laughs> we, we sit around, and, all, and she would hear me talk about, well, we're getting this flavor out of this, and we're getting a little bit of this, and she says, I don't get any of that. And I said, well, that's because the, the flavor cigar is scalding your palate. Right. It is just absolutely jading your palate. I said, so she's made the switch to not flavored cigars. Oh, she's good. got away from them. And I, which has brought a whole whole new set of problems where she starts smoking my good stuff. But other than that, um, it's been really interesting to see her palate develop and see her start. Because men are very analytical by nature. We're very analytical. Okay. I like the draw on this, and I like the flavor, and I like the pull of this, but there, it seems like ladies are not so analytical when it comes to their palate. Mm-hmm. That's why they can eat salads five days a week and all. I, <laughs> I wish I had that kind of tolerance. But um, it's, been, it's been one of the coolest things talking to her and starting to get what she's getting out of cigars and what she's getting in the new flavors. And as she gets into, oh, okay, now I can taste, you know, because I can... I can light a cigar and most of the time get pretty close to where that cigar come from. I can most of the time guess that's Ecuadorian tobacco, that's Dominican tobacco. That's, that's yeah. you know, I can most of the time pull it out as the, actually what that is, but that's just my nature. I'm such an analytical mind, and she doesn't have that analytical. That's yeah. just not part of what she's, now, she's a gatherer. I'm some, a hunter. Some, some women might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> you know, they say statistically that women don't listen to as many podcasts. 
that is that is, right? That is a national statistic, yeah. But you since care, I know she's you care gonna, more about the statistics and the listeners on your podcast than we do, I think, because we don't well, know that. Well, <laughs> maybe we just we have a my, my podcast has a much smaller audience, and and kudos to your wife for listening to your podcast. My wife. She doesn't smoke cigars and she doesn't listen to my podcast, but she doesn't mind the smell of cigars. I mean, she has to, her, 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 you know, it's her, she smells cigars now and she smells, you know, grocery money is what right. she smells. But um, she, she doesn't smoke cigars and uh, she does not listen to my podcast. But other than that, she's fantastic. What is the name of your podcast? Go ahead and plug yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, plug it's, it. It's called the Catacomb Podcast. Catacomb. So our catchphrase is turning cynicism into solutions and essentially like. like what we do, boy, we're rocking out now. <laughs> Jamming in there. The music just went up. Um, so what we what we do is we talk about um, we talk about a lot of issues that people have with the church, you know, and a lot of the crappy stuff the church has done. But instead of just bitching about it, we try to come up with some type of solution. And so, and it's been interesting since doing that. There's been several um, guys in the cigar industry that have found out that I do it and. And they, you know, will have something cool to contribute. And so that's, that's awesome. We have been able to record a few of them here. But, yeah. Well, well it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool union. It's something you don't, you know, that's not talked about much in the cigar industry is that, you know, sharing a cigar with somebody, it, it opens you up. It gives you the ability to talk about stuff you normally wouldn't. And it's not, it's intimate, but it's not as intimate as if I was just sitting here looking at you and talking to you straight on. Right. We both got our cigars. We both, and it's the perfect conversation opener. Hey, what are you smoking? It's a perfect conversation it opener. Perfect yeah. way to break the ice. That's right. Well, um, this second half of the show, I think, has flown by faster than the first, and I didn't think that was possible. Uh, really appreciate you sitting down with yeah, us. But awesome. we do have one question that we ask every guest that we have okay. on the show. Um, money and quantity unlimited. Oh, my gosh. Desert Island Cigar. Gosh, that's really hard. Um, dang it. No one from the industry will listen to this, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, if our metrics tell us anything, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really hard because I like different cigars for different reasons, you know? Um, and I have personally found that just because it costs more doesn't mean it's better. I agree. You know, um, in fact, that's kind of a thing I love doing is finding the cheapest, best cigar. Um, gosh, that's really hard. That is really hard. Um, probably cigar I've smoked the most is probably the La Imperiosa by Crown Heads. That is a great cigar that flies under the radar. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it on a lot of shelves, but it, it, you don't see a lot of people smoking it. But it is yeah. one of their best. Yeah. I love that cigar. Yeah. Wes will be proud. Their local Crown Heads reps up out in the front of the shop. He'll be proud that you both picked a Crown Head product oh, for did, your did Desert Nate Island well? cigar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, what was his? Do you remember? I don't. I don't, I don't know. I have to listen to the podcast. Oh. <laughs> I remember it was from Crown Heads. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. That's good. <laughs> we both failed that test. Oh, no. It was the Black Honey. Oh, it, it was wasn't a Crown Honey. Head. It was the Black Honey. Oh, That's right. Oh, Black Honey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That but is it, a... what made me think about it is he was smoking a Crown Head while he was sitting here oh, with okay. us. okay. Yes. Of course he was. Yeah. That's good. Um, so we rate our cigars on... Oh, we didn't ask you what you were smoking while you sat down with us. I think that's the La Coalition, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it, the... 
Yep. The La Coalition. Is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the coalition. Um, yeah. One, I would say, right, if we got to really talk about cigars, I am a huge fan of the Atsaniki. They haven't put out anything that I hate. And um, I'm also a big fan of Cordoba and Morales, which we just got back in the shop. They were missing for a few years because they oh. kind of they kind of went underground and just focused on Florida. Um, but it, but they have been a, a, a sure hitter for a long time. Oh, the 19th hole, one of my favorite cigars. Yeah. It's, it's definitely top 10 range. Yeah, it is. And it's that's great. one of those names when you mention it in the industry. Like everybody, there's a certain reverence with Cordoba Morales. Yeah. Um, but so so ranking our cigars, we do a scale of one to seven because Shane can't count. And <laughs> nice. So well, everybody does one to ten. So we have to do seven. One being you wouldn't smoke it again unless it was handed to you at gunpoint by a third world dictator. Oh gosh. And seven being the absolute holy grail. Five is sort of good, not great. I know what this is for me, the Don Lino Africa. This is this is scaring a seven to death. This is a seven. I smoked two of them yesterday. Yeah, this. it's scaring a seven to death. It's box worthy. It's wonderful. It's been great the whole cigar. It's changed flavor on me about three times. I've got some different flavors came through. You can taste the AJ Fernandez. You can taste so much of the um, so much of the work that went into this cigar. Um, it was funny. We have one of our regulars at the other shop. Is he's from South Africa, and he said, "I can't believe they didn't do the big five game animals as their logo. That they mm-hmm. just kind of chose five African ra- animals at random." And all he was he was livid about that. He was absolutely raging about that. And Beth, their cigar shop, she's like, "I don't, I couldn't tell you the top five game animals in Africa." But um, yeah, it's a seven. Yeah, and that's that's hard to come by. Uh, that, this cigar is absolutely this is cigar of the year worthy. I yeah. mean, it is that good. Wow. Um, yeah. But uh, but anyway, Josh, thank you so much yeah. for sitting down with us thank tonight. You. Um, you can get a hold of us online at facebook.com slash the cigar cast and Instagram and Twitter at the cigar cast. You can also uh, drop us a line at info at the cigar com. Do you want to plug how they can find the catacomb podcast? Uh, you can look it up. Catacomb podcast. Okay. It's on all the f- platforms. Okay. C-A-T-A-C-O-M-B. And it's got like a skull with a halo on it. So that's it. And it's at Smokers Abbey on Instagram. Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Well, thanks everybody for listening tonight. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Next week we'll have to talk about what we smoked after the turkey dinner. Mm. Um, You know, there's so many good choices for that, but we're out of time, so I don't want to get into that. But thanks everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Thank you.